Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a repeat guest, which means we had a fantastic conversation. Uh, This was about this time last year, which warranted a second go at this thing. Very, very good guy who also is very, very successful in the multi-family space, principally if my memory serves me on the West Coast. He is, and maybe I'll be corrected, we'll find out the principal of Next Wave Investors. He is Jordan Fisher. Jordan, welcome back to Street Smart Success. It's nice to be back. Thanks, Roger. And boy, we have been yammering for almost 30 minutes. So man, you and I have, we we have a chemistry as they say. Don't take that the wrong way, by the way, Jordan. Yeah, Um, I feel awkward now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I intended for you to feel awkward. Anyway, so man, what's going, dude? What's going on? I, I guess um, interest rates, I think, might have gone up more than most people predicted since you and I spoke last. How are things? How's multifamily? What's going on? How, tell me about the world. Yeah, it's a it's a weird world, right? You know, I think last year around this time, everything was looking great. You know, we were uh, really really pumped on the market. You know, values were getting scary to us a little bit. So, um, but you know. The market was so strong. So, so you know, a year ago, we, you know, everyone kind of saw interest rates going up, but I think most people were forecasting them going up maybe a hundred basis points over uh, 2022, maybe 150 basis points. Certainly not, you know, 300, 350 basis points heading to 500 basis points. So, you know, the Fed uh, caught us all flat-footed, all of us. Uh, 22 was a great year for us uh, for a number of reasons. One, we were we we always believe in taking a profit when you can, and so we uh, brokers were telling us we had some properties worth a substantial amount more than we paid for them. So we exited five properties last year, and I think the average IRR in those five deals was over 100. percent So um, wow, not, yeah, awesome. it was. You know, like again, you know, we weren't forecasting a downturn. We weren't. Um, we we didn't project. You know, it wasn't like we were so smart and we projected those amazing returns. But the market went bonkers, and we uh, we said, okay, we'll sell. You may, you hit my number, we'll sell. And so we had lots of lots of you know happy exits last year. Uh, five deals for us, by the way, is a lot. Um, you know, we we are not one of those groups that does uh, twenty deals a year. Uh, we do, you know, anywhere from four to six or seven a year. So, so that was, that was, that was great for us. And so we were also a little scared of some of the pricing out there. You know, Phoenix, we, we hadn't, we hadn't been able to, to underwrite a deal in Phoenix. We love, you know, I always tell people this, like we are a deal driven firm, not a market driven firm. And so I believe in the story of Phoenix. I think I believe in the story of Vegas. I mean, these are strong markets. But there was no deals that we could underwrite that we believed in. You know, we felt like we would be lying to ourselves and lying to our investors to pay the prices that other people were paying. You know, and and I don't, I'm not, you know, shit talking other people because maybe they, had, I don't know their deals, I don't know their deal structure, I don't know anything about them. 
just the way we structure our deals, we couldn't make sense of the pricing. We were off by 10, 15, 20%. And so, you know, we, we just hadn't done a deal there in, in the last couple of years. And so, but we were still everywhere just getting a little bit nervous. And so we, uh, we did do five deals last year. Uh, most of our deals were structured with non-recourse bank debt. Uh, we were lucky enough, you know, we did some deals in the beginning of the year. Um, we got, you know, five year fixed at like three and a quarter, three and a half. And looking at a year later, you know, prices probably have gone down on those deals, you know, but, but rents, you know, we're, we're executing our plan and we've got low debt interest rates. And so, you know, five years from now, I think we're still going to be fine. We're going to do well. And so, you know, I think that's, that's been kind of our story is, is we kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit. On underwriting, uh, we, we still were able to get a few deals done last year on the acquisition side, had some great exits, and um, we'll see what 2023 brings. I don't know. On the five deals that you did that were, you know, some, all of them over 100 IRR, 100%, how, how long were the average holds on those? Anywhere from three, one to three years. I mean, one of them, I think, was just over a year. I mean, it, you can't sustain 100% IRR for five years. You know, that's, I mean, actually you can maybe, possibly, but uh, it's, that's pretty rare. No, these, those are short-term holds. Um, we just happened to, you know, buy them and then exit them because, uh, you know, we weren't planning on it exiting after a year or after two years. But when the brokers tell you this is the price and you're like, yeah, I'll do that. So... And and our investors are all happy with that. You you deserve credit because I think that there can be a tendency to think things are going to keep going up, and you are smart enough to go. You know what? This isn't what we anticipated. Uh, this is freaky. Let's sell and 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 take the risk off the table and take our money and move on. Uh, so good for you because a lot a lot of people were frankly a lot of people were in similar situations to you that that still own their properties that are now worth you know twenty percent less than they did a year ago today. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, uh, you know. First of all, you know, you're talking to me, but there, there's two people uh, next way, two principals. And David Sloan, my business partner, is more of the risk off guy. <laughs> so, you know, he, uh, he likes to, to he, he's always been like that. And so if, if we got a good return, he'd be like, let's sell. And then, it, you know, for the past five years, a year later, I'm like, damn it, David, why did we sell? We could have made so much more money, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, I'm going to give him credit for, for uh, a lot of that. You know, he always is looking at risk and exposure and, uh, you know, getting taking a win is always better and de-risking is, is always a good thing. And, and, and along with that is, you know, we are, you know, we're in a good spot even on the deals we did previously. We didn't sell because mostly because of him, you know, on our floating rate debt stuff. I mean, we locked in rate caps at like 50 bips uh, year one, 100 bips year two, 150 bips year three, when the lender only required us to lock it in at three and a half, you know, 350 basis points. So we were really aggressive in our rate caps. And it's not that we were forecasting what happened. It was just that rate caps were really cheap. Um, but like... Holy smokes, you know, some of those rate caps that we bought for ten, twenty thousand dollars are worth over a million bucks because we hedged them so aggressively. And again, I'm going to credit David with that because I'm like, that's just a waste of money. You know, it's just to me, it's like life insurance. You know, it's like I don't plan on dying. So why should I buy it? Right. So, uh, you know, I felt like 
you know, we wasted a lot of money on rate caps in the past. And, uh, but he, he still had us buy really aggressive ones. And now I'm pretty happy we did. Yeah. No kidding. On the properties that you had floating and then rate caps, are those coming to term now or are they coming to, uh, extension time or refi time or, and if so, what is, what is that looking like? So I think that we don't have any. So the first ones that come up will be somewhere, you know, halfway through 2024. So we have, we have time on all of them. Um, I think most of them have grown the NOI enough to where we're in a good position. You know, we never, you know, there's two, there's two parts to it, right? Is, you know, how, how aggressively, you know, we never went uh, too high up in the capital stack. Most of our stuff is 70% loan to cost or below. Um, and then we've moved up NOI. And so, you know, I think we're, we're looking to either sell those because, you know, even though, you know, prices have come down, you know, we still will make money on selling. So, so we're below the peak, but above our basis. So we'll probably sell some and then probably refi and refining right now for us, you know, I am, to me, I think the right refi is like a non-recourse bank, three-year uh, fixed or five-year fixed because, you know, the prepays or step-down prepays. If you go with the agency, I'm a little hesitant to lock in an agency debt for 10 years at five and a half percent because I think there's a reasonable chance that rates go down and you're, you're annoyed you have five and a half percent for yield maintenance for 10 years. Um, and we're not usually 10-year holders anyways. And so I kind of like the the bank option because you know three to five years and you get a little bit of fixed rate debt in there, but you also but you don't have the really really painful prepays. You get you know you know the step down prepay, which is you know three percent, two percent, one percent. So if you want to get out of it, you know it costs you some money, but it's not an insane amount of money like yield maintenance could be. Interesting. You know what you're describing is a is a is a different scenario than a lot of other people are going to be in. And and like you said, you know you don't know exactly what other people are doing per se. You, you probably stick to your own what what you guys do. But but that being said, do you have a sense of or an opinion or a point of view on like what's going to be happening in the marketplace for you know people that are going to have to you know they're initial terms are coming and they're going to have to pay exorbitant amount for rate caps. They don't even have the liquid for them or, I mean, all kinds of NOI growth wasn't what it was intended to be, et cetera, et cetera. What do you envision, I guess, in the next, call it six to 24, 36 months? Yeah, I I think there's some people that are going to be fucked, like really fucked. (laughs) You know? And, you know, I'm not... I'm not saying I know who or where, but you do hear some rumors. Um, and I just, you know, I've looked at some deals like, you know, I'll give you an example and I can just tell you like our deals, right? One of our deals we've executed beautifully, right? Revenue has grown from 200 a month in gross to 300 a month of gross in a year, right? Where is it? Where is it? That's actually in, in Prescott, Arizona. And if we didn't have our rate cap in place right now, our interest expense would be more than our new gross, our new gross, not, not net, you know? So, so that's how fast interest rates have gone up, right? And if we didn't have that rate cap, we would be in trouble, you know? And, and that's, and that is even despite the fact that we've executed really, really well. And so, you know, 
that one, you know, we have we have time, right? We've got over we got two years to to figure it out. Um, and if we continue with our our business plan, I think we're going to be okay. Um, we'll look for opportunities, you know, if rates go down to to refi out. But that story I know is everywhere, right? And I know that there's people that didn't hedge like us, right? That the story is real right now, where even though maybe they've executed perfectly, their debt service is going to be really, really hard to cover. Really hard to cover. And so that's just a fact. I mean, that has to be out there in a big way for a lot of the groups. And so there's groups. So there's going to be, there's going to be rescue capital, right? So let's say, let's say you got a bridge debt, right? And you aren't making the, you got a refi, right? And so maybe you can get 70% of your debt uh, refied with an agency loan. And then, you know, if you're a legitimate group, you can probably bring in, put in some pref in front of your common equity, right? And they, you know, the pref doesn't have to pay fully current, right? But now you got 12%, 12% uh, IRR or whatever money in front of your common equity, right? It's kind of a hope note. Maybe over the next decade, it sorts itself out and everyone gets their money back with a little return. But those are the best groups that are going to get that, right? Those are legitimate groups. You know, the, the newer guys on the block, you know, the guys that, that just jumped into this after taking maybe a, a weekend course, they're going to have trouble getting that, that rescue capital. And so then it's like, how, what's their relationship with their investors? Can they do a capital call? And, and, and some will be able to, right? Cause, you know, I'd rather hold on to that deal than lose all my money if I'm an investor. Um, and then there's people that aren't going to be able to do the capital call. And now I say all that, right? That sounds like, real doom and gloom shit. But I, I've seen deals right now that are out there where the guy's in trouble. And I've only seen a couple. And they send it, you know, the broker send it out to, to me and some other guys that they think could be interested in. And we still get outbid. So there's still money on the sidelines that want to do deals and want to acquire assets. And so I don't know that the market is going to completely collapse or anything like that. So just because some people lose their assets doesn't mean that pricing goes you know, to the bottom, right? I don't see, uh, I don't see anything happening like 2008. And so, you know, I don't know where pricing goes. And, you know, I certainly think when people are forced to sale and people get in trouble, that that's going to create some weakening in pricing. But I don't know if it's going to create some cratering in pricing, if that makes sense. It does. I want to take you back a minute because I didn't understand something you said. And this demonstrates my ignorance, but what the heck. So when you're talking about the property that you increase NOI from 200 a month, not NOI, I'm sorry, revenue rents from 200 yeah. to 300 a month. And you said, had you not got a rate cap, I think you said your, your borrowing costs would be bigger than the gross. So what, what do you mean by gross then? You're talking about your gross your income or, or ed- no, your okay. total you're, revenue. So you're saying your borrowing costs would have been higher than 300 grand a month? Yes. Had you not gotten a rate cap? Yes. That's really? how far rates have moved, wow. man. Yeah. You know, wow. you went from okay. you went from borrowing at three and a quarter percent to now borrowing at like seven and a half. That's a that's a big yeah. difference. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Uh just want to make sure I, I understood you yeah. correctly. So, um no, it's, it's, well it's, it's real. So you're in Phoenix. You're mostly you're up. I'm in Portland right now as we speak. I recall you're up here. So where yeah. where where are you now and where where do you see opportunities and are you mostly in 
I, I don't even know if you'd call Portland a, it would probably, it's probably a secondary market. Phoenix would be primary. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but wh- where do you see the puck going in terms of, uh, you know, opportunity? And would you go, would you even invest in tertiary markets? It's tough. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we do. I mean, one of our bigger markets is Spokane, Washington. And, you know, that's a, that's a city of like 700,000. I told you we've got a deal in Prescott, Arizona. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, we are starting to look back in Arizona and Nevada. Um, because I think that the people, maybe that there's going to be some people in trouble. Um, and that, you know, maybe investors start leaving. Um, but it's, it's really hard right now to, to underwrite deals. I mean, we, you know, when you underwrite a deal, with you're, you're typically getting 60% loan to value, right? And here's the other struggle. Okay. I don't know if other people have talked about it, but this is what we're seeing anyways. The cost, our business is tough right now because the cost to renovate has gone way up, right? Labor, the guys that do your renovations, their labor has gone, you know, from 17 to like 24 bucks an hour. And so, you know, your flooring's gone up. Your paint costs have gone up. Your cabinets have gone up. Everything's gone up, right? So now to do a real renovation, it's gone from like 11 or 12 grand to like 16 or 17 grand. And yet the pop is the same. The pop's like 150 bucks, you know? And, and, and I don't, you know, some people say they're getting $300 pops. That's because they're under rented. You know, your market rent for your non-renovated is probably 150 low. <laughs> and the difference is, is really 150 bucks, you know, give or take, whatever. So, you know, your costs to do the renovation has gone way up. And so now, you know, because there's no bridge money, that's equity. You got to raise that cash in equity. Plus you got to put 40% down. It is when you, when, when your total cost, you know, and your, your equity is like 50% of your cost, it's really, really tough to get a deal to pencil in any market. Um, I do like, I still, you know, if I was to guess, and, and, and so when you're asking where the puck is going, um, it's, it's, I like all the markets still. I really like Phoenix. I really like Vegas. I really like Portland. Portland, we were able to get deals done last year previously because it's just, you know, real estate investors are, are red state guys, you know, investors, really don't like Portland. And so, you know, since investors don't like Portland, we don't have to compete against 300 other groups, right? We compete against 10 groups. So it was easier to find a deal that, that penciled for us. Our underwriting is, is a little bit more conservative. We need more equity to do deals. I think that there's a decent chance that, you know, right now, income in place, I'm seeing still deals better in Portland than I'm seeing in, in, uh, in Phoenix. Um, but that could change if, if people get really motivated to sell and there's not a lot of people ready to buy. So we'll see what happens. Um, we're, we're going to be scouring all of our markets, you know, over the next year, but it's, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough <laughs> unless, unless leverage changes or something. And I don't see it changing dramatically this year. Right. I could, I couldn't imagine. Do you, uh, are you doing stuff in California? No, you know, we do look in California, you know, I mean, look. I'm glad I, I, I'd never bought anything in LA because LA just sort of fucked all of its investors. Um, but you know, every time, you know, I, uh, I, I do a deal, you know, you, you, you do a deal and you're like, and I, I kind of like it, you feel like it should make sense, right? You know, deals are going for like 300 a door in Phoenix. 
And then you see something in like, you know, I don't know, the South Bay or Santa Ana at 250 a door and you kind of get a little boner, right? right? You're like, okay, this is the deal, right? (laughs) Right. And then, you know, and then what you do, you under, you underwrite it and you, you look at how the taxes reset. And you're limp again. You know, you're like, that's it. It's, it's, how do I get this to work? Because that instant tax reset, it just kills it. You know, it's a cold shower. Yeah. So I, 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 I haven't it. been able to find anything. It, it seems to me like, I don't know, with, with California, it seems like it's just super low cap rates, but it's just long term. And I guess this could change too, but it seems long term, it could potentially be more conservative just because you know, despite the press that, you know, the media that people are leaving in California, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people who are going to keep coming here as long as the weather doesn't change. And, um, you know, I, I think that you're, you're not going to have issues with, with, uh, vacancies, you know, unless you're in some weird situation. Seems to me just I, a really I conservative. I a hundred percent agree. I, you know, look, Especially, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not talking Hemet, California, right? You know, you're talking like, you know, Orange <laughs> County, LA, right? Yeah. You're not, but, you know, my business isn't giving people a, a you know, a 12 or a 13. If, if you're happy with a 12 or a 13 low risk all day, you know, it's, it's awesome. Um, but, you know, our investors are looking for a juicier return. And I just don't, you know, juicy, look. Bigger term means more risk, and you know we, we got to take on other deals. It's just not it's just not for us. I got it. Well, I'm, I'm glad we glad we covered that ground. In terms of vintage, are you are you mostly uh, 80s, 90s, or are you willing to step in and take something? You know, 60s, 70s. I think we do do 70s. Um, we usually regret it, right? I mean, 70s. 70s, you know, you just never know what's going to hit you, you know, it's, and we do it because in a perfect world, we buy stuff 90s and later, you know, that is in perfect condition and just needs, you know, interior remodels, right? I mean, that's, that's, everybody wants that deal, right? The, the B asset in the A neighborhood, but anytime that deal comes out, they do come out every now and then, you know, there are so many guys with better equity, bigger checks, lower return requirements, and they, we, we just don't win them. Um, so we do seventies, even though we usually hate them. I mean, cause you never know when that <laughs> damn sewer is going to break, right? The sewer is going to back up and there's like five grand gone. Right. And you go to turn off a water heater and the water heater shut off valve doesn't work. So now you got to call in a plumber to redo all that. And that's instead of a thousand dollar water heater, you've got a 30,000 or $3,000, you know, pipe redo. And so it sucks, but, um, we try our best to, to you know, model it out, right? You're going to have a higher percentage of appliances you're going to replace. You're going to have a higher percentage of HVAC that you're going to have to deal with. But yeah, so we do it. We, 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 we prefer newer, but we do older, unfortunately. You know, d- depend on what you believe and what you read or what you hear. Uh, but, you know, you know that this is my little podcasting world here. And so I do my own podcast, but then I also listen to others. And, uh, you know, I've heard more than one person say in the last, you know, couple few months that, that you know, C-class stuff, 70s stuff, you know, the cap rates are going to go, could go up to, you know, and with the interest rates going up, you know, they could potentially go up to 6 or 7% again. 
and that prices already, like you talk about Phoenix, prices have already come down, say conservatively on C-Class, 15%, maybe 20%, and might even come down another 10%. So I it's it's always going to be a pain in the ass to 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 deal with in terms of the rehab and the maintenance, but I wonder if they're going to be better deals in that asset class. I hope you know. I mean, look, we're we're here to make money, and so you know, like we're if if a deal pencils, you know, we're not going to just arbitrarily say no. We're going to try to underwrite, make sure it really pencils, right? Under, underwrite what we know. And there are some things we stay away from. Like, you know, I cut my teeth in the business buying my own shit in Long Beach with like 1920s stuff. And I don't want to do that again, you know, cause that's, that's real pain of, you know, uh, some of those, you know, like uh, transformers go out or whatever. And it's, you know, a thousand dollars and you have to wait three weeks for it. So, you know, or, you know, you need like an 18 inch stove, which, you know, you have to scour the universe to find. So, you know, I prefer not to, I don't think we'd do 20s urban again with no parking, but we'll do 70s suburban. Um, I think we understand it enough to where um, we can underwrite appropriately. And, and, and when I say underwrite appropriately, that includes the exit cap, right? You know, everything is a factor of money, right? And so... Look, if your exit cap is modeled appropriately, you can still make money on the 70 stuff. You know, do you have the, the capital budgeted for? Do you have the exit cap accounted for? And if you have those things and the deal still works, we're here to make money for ourselves and our investors. So we'll do it. So when oh, you're looking at deals, <laughs> okay. What's that? I, I, I said, so There's easier ways so to make money. I'll what, tell you that. <laughs> I understand. So when looking at deals, what does give you a Roscoe where you're just like, man, this is, this deal is, we got to get this deal done. You know, I would say right now, like we've looked at a deal and yeah, the the perfect deals, right? One where you, you know, have a decent tenant base, right? You don't have a done delinquency. You don't have trash everywhere. You don't have dog shit everywhere, right? You know, you've got good (laughs) tenants and you've got a decent vintage. So you're in a decent neighborhood, decent vintage, and it's a guy that's owned it 10 years that hasn't touched it, right? Maybe he's, hopefully he's maintained it, right? You've got maybe a roof that's been redone. You've got, you know, appliances that generally work and HVAC that generally work. And you can spend your money, you know, redoing the amenities, redoing the uh, the interiors and making it go from good to great, right? That's, that's, that's the dream, right? Um, it's just... Lots of people, everybody wants that deal. And so you got to find one. Sometimes it's timing, right? We, you know, we've been lucky a lot, Uh, but there was this deal we did in Vegas and we've already exited it. But I mean, it was in a great part of it. It was, it was like a 2005 vintage, you know, all the way West against Red Rock, a great neighborhood. And I remember like guidance on it was like 18 million. And I, the broker was, cause it was, it was like, 90 units, right? And we're, we're competitive usually around 100 units. You go up to 200 and we just, we don't, we can't raise that money. And so the broker was like, well, it's 18 something million and change. And I'm like, ah, I can't get there. And they did their call for offers. And I guess they just, there was just bad timing and nobody really bid. And she's like, well, where are you at? Where can you get? And then we ended up getting it for like 17 and it worked great. And it was as wonderful as we projected, <laughs> but that almost never happens. Usually that type of deal there are so many people fighting over it that it goes for a price we can't understand. When, when you said, you know, 200 units, you know, you can't raise, you know, you can't raise, raise. Are you talking about, you can't play there, talking about you can't raise the equity? Yeah. What do you yeah, mean? We just, oh, okay. 
Yeah, we can't raise the equity. <laughs> Got it. Do, do you, we need do, to, we do, need do, to know more. Are you, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're just dealing with uh, retail investors. You don't take on, uh, you know, uh, private equity or institutional money. We, we don't take on institutional. We work with a couple groups that, you know, help. They do their own fundraising. and But they're smaller where, you know, they raise anywhere from three to eight million dollars. And then our network can raise, you know, five to seven million dollars. And so we can kind of cobble together 10 to 13 million bucks um, for a deal. Maybe two years ago, that could have got us like a 30 million dollar deal. Now it's probably more like a 20 million dollar deal. So, you know, we're not doing the biggest deals out there because, um, you know, w- one of the things is David and I, you know, we don't have zero background in sales and neither of us grew up particularly rich. So um, we don't go out and pound the pavement and ask people to invest money with us. In general, everybody that we've has that invests with us has just been a referral that asks if they can come in. Um, and we kind of like that, you know, just kind of... And, and and sometimes, you know, you're, you it's always a weird little dance too because people say, hey, can we invest with you guys? I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to invest in? And I'm like, well, we don't have anything right now. So we'll call you if we have something. So it's kind of a weird conversation sometimes because we, we, we don't always have a deal ready to go. When you said you, you have a couple companies or I don't remember the term you used, but like they might bring three yeah. to eight mil to the table. And are these guys, are they capital raisers? Are they private equity companies? What's the nature of those? Yeah, they're, they're capital raisers, right? Where they go out and they'll raise money They'll charge the deal, a fee to capital, raise capital. Um, usually, their investors come in in, a, in an entity, and so we don't like okay. get to know their investors. Um, so you know, they, I don't know exactly. I think they also charge their investors a little something, but you know, we don't see that. We don't know their agreement with their investors. Um, but they, they generally, some of them are are great in that you know they'll they'll commit to a certain amount and they, it's on them to go raise it and some of them it's more of a best efforts we'll we'll try and raise you 8 million but you know sometimes i might come in short so but it's different but in general we've had a great experience with with our capital raisers um and it help, allows us to do deals where you know it needs more equity than than we have the ability to raise ourselves for one thing my friend i appreciate your candor i really do i forget from a year ago how you manage these things. I, I forget if you're, if you find third parties in these markets or no. what you're nope. doing. Nope. We have our own management company. Okay. It's, you know, I, I, my opinion on, on management is it's, it's a tough grind. I mean, I, it's how we spend our time. And I feel like it's a big portion of how we earn our, our fees and our promote. You know, we're not huge, right? We've got about like 1700 units. Any given market, we've got, you know, three to 500 units. And in general, when you're our size in a market, you've got basically a couple options. One, you go with a local manager. And I have yet to find a local manager I think is good. Two, you can go with the national manager, the Gray Stars, but you're going to get their D team because the big guys, True America, gets their A team, right? And so, or you can manage it yourself. And I feel like, we do a pretty good job and we really, really work hard to, to manage these things to the best of the assets ability. Um, we, you know, we know we get good people because whenever we sell a deal and we have to let someone go or if they quit, they end up going to Avenue five and gray star. I mean, we're getting, you know, pretty good people and we pay a lot of attention to it. We just, you know, we just give a shit. 
Um, and I feel like you do that even if you have a third party manager, you know, third, third party manager, we, when we first started, we had a third party manager and we felt like we were doing the same thing. We were, we were, you know, riding our manager's ass every day. Like we weren't getting any value from the third party management company. Like they were just a payroll company because we were in the, the onsite's ass as much as we are now. Um, and we had less control because like we didn't get daily reports. Uh, we didn't have the ability to lay somebody off. Um, and so now we're kind of, if we're doing all that work anyways, we feel like we should have more control. And, um, and I think we do a pretty good job. What's average number of units? And I guess that you have approximately, and what I'm really trying to get at is if you do management in house, then, then I'm assuming that if you have a maintenance guy and a leasing person, they're your FTEs, they're your full-time employees. Um, and what does that look like? And then how does it work? with contractors and, you know, do you just hire, they're not all your employees if they're in Spokane, right? Or do you have somebody there that works as a general that's an employee, but then assembles, you know, contractors, you know, subcontractors? I mean, how does all that work? Yeah. So yeah, we've got like 60 full-time employees. I mean, the the on-site uh, okay. and the maintenance, they're our employees, right? And generally they're dedicated, you know, occasionally we do smaller deals, like a 40 unit deal where, you know, you kind of share between two assets. But for the most part, everyone's, you know, all our deals are 70 units and up and they have dedicated teams. When it comes to renovations, we have some national, not national groups, we have groups that will travel with us. So we have a painter out of Vegas and he'll send his crew to whatever state we have and he'll do a great job and he'll do exterior paint. We've got a roofer that travels nationally. Um, we've got some, some metals guy that, you know, does our different, you know, fencing and things like that, they'll travel nationally. And then we'll find an interior renovation crew local to that market. Uh, because you know, our guys can't really do an interior renovation, right? I mean, it's the main, you, it's just way better, right? To have one guy who gives you one invoice. And if you were to do it, then you'd have an invoice for flooring, you know, invoice for all the parts, you know, invoice, you know, you have like 10 invoices per renovation. And so it's better to have a local crew and, and, and that takes time. It takes time to really find somebody that's going to do a decent job at a decent price. And that's kind of why we resist entering new markets because, you know, getting those teams that you really can count on to, to give you quality work at a, at a fair price is difficult. And so, but, but that's kind of how we work. You know, we, we oversee and, and then David and I, and we have one asset manager that we travel weekly out to our, our properties because, you know, nobody loves, nobody loves a property like the owner. Well, you said something earlier and a friend of mine says, uh, he goes, you can't outsource giving a shit. That's right. It's, it's right. It's, it's, and nobody cares as much as an owner. So that's, that's, that's the way it is. So we, we really do our best. Well, what would you say are top lessons you've learned uh, in the past, you know, well, period? Okay. My number one lesson, I would say, and it's something that I, I've really grown to appreciate recently is don't try and make your money. You know, when you're doing a modeling, modeling out an investment, don't, don't make your money by cutting labor, right? You know, I see so many management companies that are like, I only have budgeted $20 an hour for a manager. And you know what? To get a good manager, you have to pay 23. That $3 an hour extra. On somebody that's in control of a multi-million dollar asset, fucking pay that $3 and get an awesome manager, right? Don't starve your property for payroll. Same thing with maintenance guys. A maintenance guy that goes out and gives a shit and does a great job, you get the best you can. And your people out there, is it's a tough job, man. I mean, residents, 
good ones are hard. You know, they're great, but you know, a lot of them you just can't please. You know, they just they're they're tough. They are demanding. They can be rude, and you got to find this person that's got this balance of the ability to sell, and then the ability. To, so you got to be nice and empathetic and all that, and then you also got to be tough ass and say, if you don't pay the rent, we're evicting you. Those people are really hard to find. It's a really tough job. So that's my lesson number one: is go out there and. Get a great staff. You know, it doesn't mean you pay anything in the world, right? There are limitations, but get a great staff and don't try and make your money by, by lowering. You know, I see some brokers, you know, saying you can run a property with like $700 a unit in payroll. You know, we're at like 2000, you know, and you know what? The next guy might think he can run it cheaper. Go ahead and try whatever. <laughs> that's, that's on you. That's not how I'm making my money. Uh, I really have a great appreciation for what those guys do on site. I really, really do. It's a tough job. And, um, and so if you get good people, you just, you treat them like good people. Um, it ultimately is so that, e- easier for you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is like the number one job thing. And then, you know, the really, you know, and, and this is, it's just tough, right? Because we're all here to do business, right? And, you can go conservative, so conservative. You can kill any deal, right? With, with negative assumptions, right? So really though, is there's got to be limits to how you, you can't stretch too far. You can't lie to yourself and say, you know, I'm going to rent this for $2,000 a month when you know it's going to rent for $1,800 a month. We want to hit our numbers every quarter. And I know that's not possible, but there's been times where you underwrite a deal and you know you're not going to hit your numbers. <laughs> you know, you know this. Is, never do that deal. Don't do that deal. Just you know, take a pass. There's always another deal to come, and uh, you're so much better off just going ahead and telling, you know, passing on a deal that you don't think is going to work. Um, there's eventually some deals going to come across that that'll work, and you don't, and you'll be happy that you did that deal. And maybe someone else makes a lot of money in the other deal, but you don't have the stress of of missing your quarterly numbers. So I think to me that that's a big one because I like having positive quarterly uh, <laughs> announcements where, you know, we meet or beat our, our projections. It's not always the case, but it, it feels better. And let's see here. Um, you know, you just gotta, oh God, there's so many, I mean, it's funny because we break all our rules, right? I mean, we, we really look for markets where, you know, you're more of a B neighborhood and, and, you know, cause in the C neighborhoods, you know, dealing with, you are not going to change a neighborhood. That's it, right? If you buy something in a crime ridden neighborhood and you're like, I'm going to clean up this place. I'm going to get all these great tenants. You can't change a neighborhood, man. I mean, that crime, they don't respect fences. They don't respect anything. And the only people that are going to, apply or people that are, are marginal quality. So, you know, we do things in rough neighborhoods, but we really, we, we don't have, we don't have these lofty expectations that all of a sudden that we're going to, we're going to change the face of a neighborhood. We're going to really change the makeup of a, of a property because it is what it is. You can't change a neighborhood. You can, you can make a community better. Uh, you can do some things, you can secure it. But at the end of the day, it's part of a larger neighborhood and, and you're really not in control. Of that, these these have all been softball questions. So you ready for the hardball question? Oh boy! Yep, give it to me. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> what? Nobody knows how to answer this question. So uh, here we go. And I feel compelled. And you're you're one of a special few that I ask it. So just you should feel quite flattered. What is that? What is something people don't know about you? Well, 
they don't know that I am going to one day be the uh, first plus size male model, swimsuit model. <laughs> That's my goal in life. You know, I feel like there's all these plus size women walking around with their bathing suits, right? Where's the plus size male model? You know, <laughs> I'm telling you, I go to Target, right? I go to Target and look at the, these Dude, mannequins, are you, are you, right? Are, are, got, you, are you telling me you're, you're telling me you're very well hung? Oh, you know, I, let me tell you, I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Target and you know, you got a, you got a skinny girl bathing suit mannequin, right? Then you got maybe a little chubby girl bathing suit mannequin. Then you got a fat girl, girl bathing suit mannequin. You got a pregnant girl bathing suit mannequin, right? And then you go to the men's section, right? They're all ripped, right? Where's the mannequin with the bitch tits and the small dick? That's what I want to know. <laughs> You know what? I, I, I hate to say it. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, that's the feminist in me. I want equality. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? And I, I have not had enough feminists on the show. So uh, for that reason, I got to have you back again. So uh, we shall connect uh, maybe end of the year or next year. And uh, I appreciate it. And uh, we will we will circle back. How does somebody get a hold of you? They want oh, to invest. Our website. Now, they're, is, they're really going to want to invest now. So go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, I mean, my, I don't have a modeling website yet, but uh, our real estate <laughs> investment is nextwaveinvestors.com. So it's pretty easy. And uh, my email is Jordan, J O R D A N, at NWI for Next Wave Investors, M U L T I for multifamily. So NWI, M U L T I.com. Got it. And we will connect again soon. Thanks, Jordan. 